With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you for downloading the Blue Moon Podcast. Please give the show your support by becoming a backer. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Twenty-four hours on from the crazy final day of the season, and we're about to try and make sense of what happened. I'm David Mooney. We're at Idle Hands Coffee in Manchester, and this is the Blue Moon Podcast Live. <laughs> Joining me to try and understand and unpick the last ten months of football, I've got City fan KC. All right. From Sporting News, Don Farrell. And our special guest for tonight, former City defender, Nader Manua. Why did he get a bigger chair than me, then? It's just a disgrace. It's a good question. I'm going to start, I never liked doing this, but I'm going to start by making uh, a personal text uh, public. And that's because at about 7.25pm on Sunday evening this week, uh, roughly 90 minutes after the game at the Etihad had ended, um, Nader, you sent me a text that just said... Nice routine win today. <laughs> Did you honestly feel like that? No, come on. Nobody's felt that. Nobody felt that. But I think as a City fan, when you speak to other City fans, you can make that joke because everybody went through the pain. But then it makes that bit at the end just that bit sweeter. You know, you can say that it makes sense. But then other people will be like, what are you guys talking about? <laughs> like, we understand that was ridiculous yesterday, but it's the City way. It's apparently what City do. Yeah, he's nice and, uh, nice and comfortable in the end. Yeah, wasn't yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. We can't not talk about that game on Sunday, Dom. Um, the, the truth is, it was a mad game. Have you begun to process it yet? Um, I think so. But I'm at the stage at the moment where I think it was actually, in some respects, better than... 93-20. That's but a big call. That's a hot take. That's a big call. That's a very right. I wasn't, I wasn't take. expecting it's, to come here tonight. It's an incorrect take. So hear me out. Because... No. no. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have to stop again? Yeah, um, yeah so... 93-20 is all bound up in, like, there was the absolute despair of, I can't believe they're doing this to everybody. And yeah, there, no, was, there was the best part of a half... Yeah. Solid rear guard there. <laughs> Ridiculous activity. Yeah, so Coutinho scores, and my reaction at the time was, well, that's just done. It's, it's over. But City will win things again. So you've not got the lows of the lows you had in 2012. And then 12 minutes later, there's been three goals. Never mind, because everyone was a bit angry about Eddie Dzeko's goal, weren't they? It's like, why is he winding us up? And then everyone sort of loses their mind at Aguero. We used to have this build-up of just joy and adrenaline and madness, absolute madness. Yeah, I think I think that's why everyone feels lightheaded today because it's just unbelievable. There's the whole "you'll never see anything like this again." Well, actually, you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it, it's still wrong though. I, I, yeah, big-time recency bias. You know, I'll, I'll have 
I'll, I'll, I'll be saying the first game of next season is the best game I've ever seen in all of it. But yeah. can, I, can I jump in and just say oh, something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm going to deliver, I'm for this. I'm, I'm going to deliver some big takes today and I'm going to start with this one. <laughs> what Wayne Rooney said last week is one of the most stupid things I've ever heard in football. <laughs> To, to, all you have to do is watch the game back. In fact, don't watch the whole game. Watch the last 60 seconds. The despair in my team, as that third goal goes in, well, how's that letting City win a title? Like, there's, you know, you can have your tribalism and support your side, but to lose your mind over it, like, what are you going on about? If you were going to do that, I'd like to think you'd have done it a bit earlier. Did, so, <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's, it was so well orchestrated, because we, we found out, goal goes in, I put my hands on my head, because I thought, I've relegated us in my old stadium with my old friends and teammates, and the crowd are basically laughing at me now. I was the lowest of the lows, my friend. Lowest you, of the lows. You, remind me, you were marking Edin as well for Ed, the second one. So of all the years I played at City, from academy through to wherever, there's one picture of me in the stadium, and it's one where Edin Zeko is literally sticking his head over the top of me to score to make it 2-2. So I don't necessarily feel proud as I walk around the corridors and see that one. But... Like that 93-20 situation, when you look back at the timing of, say, when I threw the ball, we lost it, and then they scored, and then that was the season. Like, that, that is amazing, but whereas yesterday, you know, we all had this feeling like they've, they've messed up, everything's going wrong, but City scoring three goals in five, this City team scoring three goals in five minutes is not the most ridiculous thing that we've ever seen in the world, and that's why they were able to do it. It's just like City, bang, 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 they've got that sort of ability about them. Yeah, but the difference this time is that we don't normally do it from when we're behind. Yeah, but then in the same breath, like I said to, uh, to our friend of the show, main man Sam Lee, Aston Villa are still Aston Villa, they're 15th in the table. Yeah, but trust doesn't come into it when there's narrative. Like, oh, narrative. <coughs> hey, <that's> not... <laughs> narrative got the second goal. Yeah. Narrative for me is, I was, so, I, was, I was actually in Italy yesterday watching a game with my wife. She's never seen a side of me before when I'm losing my mind or whatever. <laughs> Been with her 20 years, she's never seen me like that like I was yesterday. <laughs> But narrative is when I'm sitting there watching the game at 2-0 thinking all the nonsense I'm about to hear for the next six weeks, like absolute nonsense. And I'm going to have to sit there, take it, try and say something back and say, well, you would say that, wouldn't you? It's ridiculous. Sometimes, it's, especially from that club as well. They have megaphone of nonsense. And it? yeah, it's just constant. yeah, like oh. it's, it's such a relief. Like there's a relief, there's euphoria, there's excitement, there's all this stuff. But you just, you know what people are going to say when things don't work out for City. Like for all the media stuff that I do, I always know it's result dependent because I know the people I'm going to be on with and if City haven't scored six goals when they should have scored six goals, hey, they should have got a striker. You know what I mean? They finished with 99 goals but lo and behold, they beat the... Won uh, league, didn't they? they won a league ahead of the greatest team that's ever existed. So I'm gone. <laughs> Sorry. Nadish, you're saying yesterday was more enjoyable than 2012 for you? No, no, it's more, it's more of a relief because in 2012 oh, for me, like, on, I couldn't enjoy it. No, I can't because in 2012 <laughs> I couldn't enjoy it because I wasn't, play I wasn't there's supporting a, there's City. There's a massive caveat for him with 2012. I know, I'm trying to that's sort the, of latch onto the caveat. My biggest, my, <laughs> right one, of my, one of the biggest things about me in terms of me supporting City and like is I couldn't enjoy that one in 2012 because I wasn't there for it in terms of wanting them to win because that's really when, weird. When did you enjoy Sunday? At what point, at what point did you realise that it was happening? Um... Just to be honest, it just had to be the third, and when Jesus took the ball to the corner for about 10 minutes. You know what I mean? Like, those, those, that took me back to a time when we at City, we had Robinho and Alano, and they did the same thing one time. I think it was against Bolton. It was, I, count, I kid you not, it was five minutes in the corner. I was just standing on the halfway line, I said, this is all right, this. I could get used to this, but that's when it was for me. And then, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this game more, but the club, there's just something about it. Like, he's shedding tears the same way fans are shedding tears. Like, this is our club. 
you know, there's something about being a part of it which just never goes away regardless. However big the club is, all these titles matter. That's the fourth in fifth years and people are losing their minds like it was, say, 10 years ago. And it's, it's, it's special, so... Yeah, as soon as it, when it went to the three, you're like, well, it did happen. And you're thinking, can Villa do anything? Probably not. So then City just do what they do, manage the game, ref blew the final whistle. And then, yeah, we're seeing the pitch invasions and all that stuff again. Yeah. KC, some stats from the game. Um, so you're coming to me for stats? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, know, I know you, I know you, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. like them. Um, <laughs> that three-goal spell is a goal spell under Guardiola. So they've, they've never done it faster under Guardiola. The closest they've come... Uh, it was three goals in six minutes against Watford, uh, which was the eight nil. Yeah. Um, previously, they've done it three. They've done three in four minutes against Newcastle in 2015, and Naden was on the pitch for the quickest one I can find. Uh, three goals in three minutes against Burnley. Burnley away. Burnley away. Yeah, the six one. Six one. Roberto Mancini was in charge, yeah, and he, he wasn't my favourite person. Like I'm over it now. I don't care whatever. But he, um, he was four 0 at half time. I remember thinking, like, being 4-0 up away from home, this is not like City. This feels pretty good. So I'm coming in at half-time. And then Roberto wasn't happy. He looked at me and said, what were you doing from the set piece? I was like, what, was like, what do you mean? He said there was a free kick at the end because somebody had a header. He said you were in the wrong position. I said, no, I wasn't. Because it was Craig Bellamy that it was. But I didn't throw him under the bus. I said, I wasn't. And he got really angry at me. Then five minutes passed and he came up to me and said, never speak back to me in the open forum ever again. And from that point, I never played for City in that game. I shouldn't have brought it up then, I'm sorry It's about too that. soon, it's, mate. Uh... <laughs> 11 years is too soon. This is, this is too close to the bone. Let's not do that. Let's not do that. But the, the, the point I'm getting at, KC, is you said before, City, we, what we know about City is that they start badly and that sets the tone. When they start well... I, we don't start badly. We used to start badly. We don't start badly anymore. We saw that against Real Madrid. Yeah. They, but when they have started badly, returning to a good, they found it really hard. The difference, like, I understand the reasoning why he doesn't make substitutions because he trusts his own process and the thinking behind it. But yesterday, like, you could see on the touchline, he wasn't himself. Like, he was not the Pep Guardiola that he's got the reputation of being. He, he completely lost his mind. But it, it worked out well by the fact that he actually thought, right, I actually need to make positive changes here. And all three subs made you know, made a massive difference. A lot of impact. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Dom, Nader mentioned the narratives. Um, City beat a load of narratives on Sunday. They just did. There, 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 was, there was so much going into that game where it felt like the outside world watching was going, well, this is obviously what's going to happen because Coutinho used to play for Liverpool. Gerrard used to play for Liverpool. You know, City haven't bought a striker, all this sort of stuff. And, like, City, like, as much as, as we talk about you know, Liverpool are this team that, that have the mentality. City have battled against all of that all season. City didn't even deploy their own narrative of bringing Jack Grealish on to score the winner. You know, so they were sort of narrow resistant. But yeah, yeah, yeah. right up to the, the Mahrez penalty at West Ham, it always felt like City were almost there, but it just kept happening, just kept happening. So I think from my point of view, when Coutinho scored, it was like, well, right, yeah, of course it's happened. It's, they've just left it a little bit out there, a little bit out there, and then it happens. But yeah, the... I think Guardiola said the other week when he was having his... Um, cause he, he's had a brilliantly salty couple of weeks, hasn't he? Um, when he was going after Ever and Berbatov and all the rest of it. There's so much in the last few weeks. Like, I, I it's incredible. I was saying to Nadem yesterday, he's like, he, he, he came expecting to win a few trophies and win a few games, and he's turned into a proper bird. I'm surprised he's not bought a ticket and come down to talk about yeah. York away at this stage. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, it, it, it's, it's, I think 
it goes back to the, the style of football that Guardiola teams play. When people talk about mentality and character, they think about sort of winning headers and winning second balls and you know being physical. Guardiola has always said that like, the personality required to play that type of football and to play that type of football under high stress, even in that sort of three goals in six minutes, before Cancelo plays that ball that Mings partially clears and De Bruyne pounces on it, you've got him and Zinchenko coming in field, building the play from fullback, doing that sort of muscle memory, high-tech Guardiola football. Um, you don't do that without bags of character under high pressure. You know, it's, so it's... Yeah, I think I think we have a very sort of English football idea of what is and isn't character, and it's beyond doubt that team has character. But do you not think, in a weird way, like the narrative of Grealish not coming on is Guardiola being too stubborn to do it? That is our narrative because Guardiola is like he goes against the grain and he chose Gundogan, even though everyone would have thought that Grealish was a substitution and Gundogan was the right choice. But every like everyone, in the, no one in the ground, I don't think, would have brought Gundogan on for Bernardo. I think it's worth thinking about. He, he brings Gundian on. It's still 1-0, isn't it? It's just before the second goal. Because when the second goal goes in, I was thinking, I bet we should have held off on that substitution and brought on a more offensive player. I wonder if at 1-0, Gundian would have just done the job where he sits deep, builds play from the back like he has done this year. Whereas at 2-0, Gundian just went into last season's golden boot mode and just went and hung out of the back post, you know, because he's, he's got, like Guardiola talks about, the sense of goal rubs fingers together like the, yeah. like the second um, position like the second run or the second yeah. position I wonder whatever. if Gundogan had come on and it stayed 1-0 if he'd have ended up in those positions I think it just it became a different game and they adapted accordingly but having said that like I knew that Gundogan came on but I'd lost my mind that much I didn't know that Bernardo had gone off so when, <laughs> when we scored the third it was that mental I thought Bernardo had scored so I turned to Bob and I went who set up that for Bernardo there? It's gone mad. He went, Bernardo, Bernardo's been off the pitch for 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's the final day of the season, yeah, does yeah, things too. Yeah. Uh, Nadam, narratives from a professional player's point of view. Yes. Nonsense, isn't it? Yes, it is. But uh, let me tell you a little story I figured out today. <laughs> so I was very lucky just before to be behind the scenes for the bus tour and all that stuff. And I got a chance to speak to some of the players. And one of the ones I was speaking to was actually Kevin De Bruyne. And he was saying, he was asking me about where I'd been this weekend because I've been away with my wife. And he asked me how was the trip. And I was thinking, how do you know I've been away with my wife? Because he was listening to one of the And shows. it turned out it's like a massive, massive city apologist. But it's because one or two people on there are really anti-city. So for him to have listened to that, I was like, yeah, tell you what, Kev, I got you back. Yeah, I got you, no problem. <laughs> Did he call you a bit? He didn't actually, no, he didn't. But... <laughs> Some of the narratives that do exist, you can tell some of the people that really don't like City and they're always extra loud whenever something goes wrong at City and they want to align themselves with, say, Liverpool and so on. And like, I've got no issue. If you want to be a Liverpool fan, be a Liverpool fan. But that doesn't mean you have to be anti-City. And that's what some of those people are. And some of the stuff they say, they try and do some logic to make it make sense. But ultimately, I'd rather you just said you had bias against City and this is why you feel as a consequence. Like... Somebody was saying in the running that Liverpool would win the title because City have not failed to score in, say, two more games than Liverpool had. But in the same breath, they weren't saying that City had scored more goals than Liverpool and had conceded fewer. Like, surely that should come into the sort of thinking. But for them, they know what they want to see and they know what they hate seeing. Yeah. And say, like, with the Grealish stuff, I know that I'll be doing work this week. And people want to ham, some people want to ham down and say Grealish has been a failure this season. But at this point, I say, does it matter? Because I think for you guys and all City fans, Deasons, you know that there's nobody who's guaranteed to play every single game. Yet still from the outside, it's like, well, it's cost 100 million. You should play 60 games a season. It should be amazing. Like, this is what it is to understand the football club. 
And for some of those narratives, they go out there, people talk, and there's certain people who say, oh, sports washing this, sports washing that. And the, the thing I say, you can have your argument about sports washing, but you're doing it at the expense of people who just love their football club. And when you speak ill of the club, why don't you speak ill of the FA or something like that if you've got a problem? Because the people who support City today supported City 20 years ago. So when you're negative all the time, this is affecting them. You're talking about them. And I find it like really, really disrespectful. So for me being in the press now, like, don't get me wrong, it's harder when City lose. But thankfully, that's not very often. But it is harder when they lose. But I was, I just... I'm not going to lie, I was a little bit concerned that the atmosphere tonight might have been a little downbeat. Yeah. Yeah, but again, like, I know that once that third goal went in, there would have been lots of people who were devastated, ripping up their sheets of paper, saying, ah, for God's sake, the lucky buggers and all this. I say, shut up, get on with it. You know what I mean? I'm happy to be working in the press. I'm happy to tell it the way that it is. And I'm happy to be doing it on behalf of City. Certain people, like with the sports washing and stuff or whatever, that they just seem to just use it as if they think they're going to win a Pulitzer Prize or something. Yeah. It's just daft. Yeah. Everything comes from the core of that, of that mentality. And it's fine if that's his thing. But he doesn't address that every time he makes a negative take of City. Like, it was after the Champions League defeat, he pulled up... Um, all the stats of when City conceded more than like one goal within a short period of time. And it's fair to pull that up, but then I'm first thinking, have you done that for everyone else as well? And secondly, with regards to that, what you've just described is momentum. Because when you have it, you can score two goals in five minutes, you can score two goals in ten minutes. It's momentum and need. Like, look at, <clears throat> literally look at City on the weekend. It's almost like you read my mind of what I was going to come to next. City have come from two goals down in their last two games of the season to win this time. Without leaders, apparently. Yeah. And a striker. Yeah. And so, like, what does that say about the mentality? Honestly, like, those players, this football club, like, they're driven by success. They're obsessed with winning. They want that Premier League title. They want to lift that trophy. Look when the third goal goes in. Kyle Walker's running down touchline, kicking corner flags and stuff like that. You know, he's not, he's not even playing. Not even fit. Exactly. Yeah, like, that's the quickest he's moved all season, you know what I mean? He looked but, pretty fit, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. But, like, it matters. Playing for representing this football club matters to them and being successful matters. Lifting up that Premier League trophy, like, there's a reason why they're all, like, blind drunk at this moment in time, you know, after that bus tour. Because this, this matters more than anything. Like, it's not... Finishing on 92 points in a season, it's not just happened because they're just better than everybody else. They have to, they are, they're technically better, they're tactically better, and their mentalities are better, which is why they're able to win week in, week out, because football is a hard game. And whenever you come, whoever you come up against on a week-to-week -week basis, they might not have your talent, but they're good enough to be able to beat you. So it's an achievement for that to not be the case. Nothing is given to you. Like, look, literally, look at the way Villa played. Look how Villa were playing when it was 2-0. Like, I thought Mings was having a good game. Chambers was having a good game. Watkins was having a good game. Before those last two games, people knew four points would get you the Premier League title. So at 2-0 down, you're not thinking to yourself, well, it's all done, let's just move on. You need four points. You need four points. How do you get the four points? You get this. Obviously, you missed the penalty. It is what it is. And City walk out, last game of the season, three points gets you the title. And what did they deliver? But it's like the post-match interview yesterday with Grealish, even though I know he didn't come on, but like that said a lot about... Obviously, you said football's a hard game, mm. but I think Guardiola makes it harder, but like to get higher standards. Yeah. And like Grealish is obviously like the first season. We know he's going to be better next season. It, like it happened with Bernardo when he first signed. It's like he does make it harder, but like Grealish, he, he's quite open. Whereas like a lot of footballers are like quite reserved, aren't they? Yeah. Like just you know, sort of press trained or whatever. And he was saying, you know, he's afraid of losing the ball, like and you know, recycling it and this, that, and the other. But like. 
yeah. when he scored against West Ham, he was saying like he just felt freer. Yeah. And I think that's what we'll see next season. Yeah, for sure. I think the, the standard at City is so, so high. When you arrive in there from a, from a situation, like Villa are a good team, but they're not Man City. So credit, credit to him, credit to Pep. And I'll be honest, he's a manager who myself and lots of others would have loved to play for because he will bring out the best in you. Just, just quickly, when we're talking about like player mentalities there, just from your point of view, Nathan, thinking about the Villa defenders there yesterday when the first goal and the second goal happened, if you're in that situation as a defender and like a stadium's up and City are just coming wave after wave, what is that? Because obviously it was very similar to what happened to City at the Bernabeu. It's yeah. like, what's that like as a player where it feels like sort of there might be no way out of this? What yeah. do you do? It's, what, it's, what's that like? It's horrendous, to be honest. And you're looking for like little breaks and stuff like that. Uh, so QPR, interestingly, before Aguero scored that third goal, we had a break because Sean Phillips took the ball at the field and then he went out for a throw in. Like you Good throw in though, wasn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I, was, I was screaming going, no Sean, it's no, It's definitely no. not one of my best. But um, in regards to sort of playing like that, football, like you can te be technically good, you can think you switched on all that stuff, but there's always a gut check when somebody just throws the kitchen sink at you because you're not prepared for that. Like everything's come in, the crowd, like crowds make such a difference. Like as, an, as a, an away player, you always wanted to go to an away stadium and make the crowd as quiet as possible. And you do that by just sort of like winding up just taking your time with things. But when I'm away from home and it's like 40,000 people screaming for a corner, you're like panicking, thinking something's going to happen. Especially when you're marking Jekyll. Oh, don't get me started on that. <laughs> <laughs> but like all that, all that stuff matters. And for those guys, like they played well, those defenders played well and they walked off the field and conceded three. But that's the quality that City have. And that's why like, I always say, as a defender, I never did any sort of like back chat or anything to strikers just because it only takes a second to have like, to have yourself humiliated. And for those guys, it's, it's what it is. Like, you have like to Michael Jordan sort of thing. Yeah. You just never, it, say, never say a word. You could have the most annoying striker in the world, but don't say a word to him because you could have a great game, but a great game lasts 90 minutes, not 89. Okay, see, I thought you were going to be last time. You are. Let's not. <laughs> I think we can all agree he's a prick. Yeah, I think he'd probably admit to that as well. Himself, so yeah, <laughs> we're, we're all on board with that, yeah. Lions, lions are pricks or something, yeah. 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 Well, let's, let's round off the first part of the show um, looking at the season as a whole because uh, City in the league, 29 wins, the best, best in the Premier League this season. I find it interesting, Nadam, that had City failed at weekend, it would have been a terrible season. And yet all of that that I've just read out screams to me that City have had a good year come what may. Yeah, it, it does, but it's the recency bias thing, isn't it? You know what I mean? Like, if you end a season in defeat and disappointment, then that means the whole thing's essentially been a failure. And it, that's all, I'm going to talk Liverpool semi-positively for a second here, yeah? For them, like I was saying in the build-up to this last period of the season, for the second year out of three, there's going to be a team that won't win a Premier League title. They'll be in the mid-90-point range. And someone will have to say that's a disappointment. Like... If we could be fair, it's not a disappointment because it almost falls in line with the sort of argument that like when you're losing in a Champions League semi-final, when you lose an FA Cup semi-final. So close. Yeah, it's like, it's like and this is the nature of football. No success is guaranteed. And for them, it's, it's the margins. Like even, as I say with Liverpool, they've got two trophies so far, but they won them on penalties. They've not managed to beat Chelsea four times this year, but they've got two trophies. And the other side of that coin, Chelsea have got nothing. You know, the, so, the margins are so small within football. But still, from the outside, I want to just say something's a failure or somebody's a success. Like, even in the, I don't know if you guys agree with this, but in the Champions League, in the semi-final, as soon as the game was over, some people were saying to me, oh, the substitutions were terrible. And I love Kevin De Bruyne, but that was one of the worst games he's had all season, I thought. 
But all of a sudden, it's like, oh, why would you take him off? Well, when you're a City fan and you know the context of how good he can be in times when he's not good, it makes sense to you. But from the outside, they don't care about that. And those same people weren't then asking, oh, is, they weren't saying, oh, it's strange that Madrid took off Casemiro, Kroos and Modric. Well, they had to take Casemiro off before the ref, did No, the ref was never going to take him off. The ref was never taking him off. I'll tell you that as a fact. So, yeah, like... We know we know what City are. We know what we're proud of. And you, we would have wished that certain things would have gone better and certain performances were better at certain moments. But then in the same breath, you've just named 29 league wins this season. Yeah. ton of wins in the cup competitions. And, you know, I hope one day that the, the Champions League comes there as well. But I would never wish it away at the expense of a Premier League title because this feeling here is still very, very special. It's Dom- like you, you saying that, sorry, like when you, like De Bruyne not having his best game then, but it's like City fans know that he's just knackered and worn out. Yeah. But like people who are like outsiders and like just catch up on highlights or whatever, they won't realise that. It's like he was knackered against Atletico in the second leg. Yeah knackered against Madrid but then when he's had a bit of a break against Wolves he's like best player in the Can, world I've got some insight for you Ed. oh you ready for this cast first after 13 well, I years hope, I hope he's not said this I hope he's not said this in the press but when I was speaking to Kevin before which again was really surreal because like you know at this point I'm just a pure fanboy I asked him and I hope he's not upset by me saying this but I asked him like which of your titles has been your favourite and he said this one and I said, that's interesting. Why is that? Because I thought maybe, say, like the 100-point season or whatever. He said at the start of the season, he was just exhausted. He said his ankle felt terrible and he just wasn't enjoying football. He wasn't enjoying it at all. And he just needed a break. He needed to speak to someone. He needed to get his mind right, all this stuff. And that's when you realise, like, there is a human element to this, which we forget sometimes, because, like, it's easy to judge him, say he's no good, he's past his best, all this stuff, but there's always more to it. So for him to then come back, to find his form, to find his love for the game again, like, and to see the Kevin that we all know and love, like, that's, that's part of the journey. But again, if you should all... This, this wouldn't be a great TV, but it should only be City fans talking about City, because a lot of the people who talk about them, they only want to talk about the negatives or just, like, general themes. But the detail comes from you guys because you see it on a week-to-week basis. I think a side issue to that is we've already mentioned certain journalists that might rile up the fan base or rile up people. This is a dangerous point for someone who earns their living writing about football to make, but honestly, why do you give a shit? You're watching this team that is unbelievable, coached by the greatest coach of his generation. You know that's great. You've witnessed what you witnessed yesterday. You've witnessed all these years. What someone, you know, basically some people in journalism, there's not an agenda, there's good opinions, there's bad opinions. Some people will write bad things that they're having a sentence to write or otherwise. It doesn't matter though. You don't need your validation from what a certain journalist in a newspaper might write. You saw and experienced what you saw yesterday. That's what's important. There's absolutely no need to go on Twitter coating off Liverpool because Liam Gallagher's got it covered. He's (laughs) sorted. So... Liam's got that boxed off. Just enjoy the absolute joy of this football team in these moments. No point getting angry about what, and I know well of what I speak, fucking part, journalists part, say. part of the identity, mate. Part of the identity. Yeah, but let's... I've told let's, my friend this every week. Always logs on. Um, let's uh, finish of our best ever season. So every one of you in the room that has been on the podcast, you should hang your heads in shame. We are £10 short of our best ever season. Finished on £1,340. The money's going to uh, the Man City Fans Food Bank Support, who are here. Uh, We're doing a collection this evening as well, so if you've uh, got a little bit of spare change, do please stick it in the bucket. 
Um, as ever for the live show, I've got a few stats for you. Um, Dan Burke, uh, who is in tonight somewhere. Um, right next to you. Yeah, there he is. <laughs> I couldn't see you there, mate. Um, the only person to win more than once this season. Uh, 140 in total. Uh, the biggest win was the first one of the season. That was uh, Wickham fan Duncan Alexander. Uh, he correctly predicted City would tonk Wickham 6-1 at the Etihad earlier in the season, and he did. Famously um, good with numbers, isn't he? Yeah, famously yeah. good. We've had a run of five correct predictions on the podcast for the first ever time this season. So well done, everyone, for that. Um, opposition fans or guests won four times, a total of 470 quid. Uh, and KC, the only time it was the Liverpool game. you have yeah. ever predicted a score that is not City 6, the opposition won. It came in. So, uh, yeah, we've raised £1,340 for the Man City fans' food bank support. It's going to the Trussell Trust to help tackle poverty in Manchester. Uh, well done, everyone. We'll take a very short break. Go and get yourselves a drink from Dave at the bar because uh, he's very kindly hosting us this evening. So uh, I would like to fill his tilt. So please go and uh, grab yourself a drink and we'll be back in five, ten minutes. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer. Statcity.co.uk Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium and under every manager. Just go to statcity.co.uk and browse away. That's statcity.co.uk support the show by becoming a backer patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast so welcome back to part two that brings us on to next season um okay so i'm going to start with you on this one uh, just because you were about to put your beer to your mouth um <laughs> what should the aims for next season be it's really hard to to say for city at this stage what the aims and objectives of the season should be so what what should, what should they be well i think aims for us as fans is different to what uh, the players and like the club would want because obviously the club will prioritise like the Champions League and obviously you want to win the Champions League but for me still the league is far more important so as long as you win the league and hopefully most important that free handled bastard that Carabao Cup get it back <laughs> <laughs> Dom Guardiola always says he would sign for the league at the start of the year I think, I think you try and win a league you build a squad to win a league and then everything else off of that is kind of like subsidiary of it really and um, yeah they'll try and win the league again they've got a good chance of winning some cups again and the Champions League is one of those cups the big cup but yeah I think the aim is the Premier League and other things take care of themselves from that yeah. Nathan what's what's the players been saying about what they're, what they're aiming for? Well, I'll be revealing too much <laughs> that um, I think as a player you get to a point where like especially for these City guys they would have watched the Carabao Cup final. They would have watched the FA Cup final and seen somebody else like lifting the trophy. Same way Liverpool would have seen City lifting the Premier League trophy this year. And the same way City watched somebody lift it this weekend in the Champions League. And if you're a player who looks at that and says, I don't want a bit of that, then you're in the wrong game. So for them, anything that they're not lifting, they'll, dream, they'll think, not dream about, but they'll think about winning next year. You're playing the Premier League every single week there's basically, well, obviously there'll be a gap this year because of the World Cup, but there's, there's no gap. Like, you can't focus on that because you're disregarding everything else. You arrive in the Champions League 
and you're in a good moment because you're doing well in the league. If you're doing badly in the league, you don't just switch on for the Champions League. But that's why, like, I think it was last season when City beat Dortmund and they beat Gladbach. Like, Dortmund and Gladbach were in poor situations domestically, and as a consequence, like, City were the better side anyway. But those games were potentially easier than it would have been if they were playing them and they were, like, in the prime, if you know what I mean. So you can't focus on anything, but you can have a desire to win everything. And for those players, every time they step out on the field, how often do you think, do you know what? I don't fancy it today, I don't want to win. Well, that's never going to be the case. Every time they play, they'll want to win. And, you know, I saw, we saw last year City played in every game but one. This year, Liverpool playing every game. City want to do that. City don't want to be second to anyone. They don't want to just go on a cup run and make it to the quarterfinal. They want to win everything because they're capable within the sort of context of the quadruple timing and stuff like that matters. Because, say, the Liverpool game in the FA Cup semi-final, City played at home and Liverpool were away. City likely play a different sort of setup because both teams played at the same time, I believe. But Liverpool players were in their beds by 11, whereas for City, they weren't even leaving the stadium to get on a plane to come back to England before that. And then they're travelling down to London. Like those little details, those little bits of momentum, they can make a big, big difference. Well, it's that, that Liverpool's draw as well was like... Yeah, it's preferable. Obviously, it's preferable. City still could have beaten Real Madrid. Like that's, that's probably what it is. But certain things are prefer- preferable. You can have a draw like... For all we know, City might be in the group of death in the Champions League next season, or they might have like teams we've never heard of before. Or they'll get Shakhtar again. Yeah, well, that, that's a given. But these things, like, but a group of death wouldn't matter to us anymore. We'd easily still, win still, it. We'd still easily be win fa- it. Yeah, of course, they'd still be favourites. But then, even still, like, you don't win the Champions League in September, October, nor November. Like, it's this part of the season when you need to really be able to execute. But that comes from a foundation. I've at the point where you're in, elite, in a champ, in a Champions League semi, an FA Cup semi, and a Premier League title race. That isn't just because you switched on halfway through. That's because you've been good throughout. You need, you, sorry, you need a lot of things to fall into place, don't yeah. you? Like the, the city's treble winning year, there was, I remember there was all that thing about not respecting the FA Cup or respecting it too much or whatever for when they beat Rotherham and beat Burton in the semi-finals of the League Cup and beat Newport County, things like that. The same way that obviously better teams, what Liverpool drawing Benfica and Real is comparatively easier so if you're going to win all these trophies and go for like trebles quadruples or whatever you do need little things to fall in place like that and yeah yeah and i think as well to talk about disregarding the league so villarreal was seventh in the league when they were playing uh, liverpool and we thought that liverpool are always going to be villarreal because they're seventh in the league so how can you prioritize the champions league because obviously the league matters like people believe liverpool would win because they're doing so well in the league but it's not even just the draw like Villarreal's goalie just chucked a couple in his net. Wow. Like, yeah, like, no, no, I'm talking about in terms of luck. Things oh, need to go for you as well as to take our medicine against Real Madrid, and we just had to accept it. Like it just happened. We were by far the better team across both legs, but we didn't kill them. Like it's like you said to me, David. You said the like the monster in a horror movie where you have to kill them and kill them and kill them and kill them again. Whereas like I prefer that the a turd that won't flush. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think it's worth aspiring to be like Real Madrid are in Europe, like the banner that was up before the game another magical night for the kings of Europe is what they had up on there and you can't question it because they've got 13 like Champions League titles you know that's insane that's what you want to aspire to be and then when you arrive in those moments like for context again that was City's third time in a Champions League semi-final going up against a side that's won it 13 times like realistically for as good as City are and all this stuff 
they need to learn to manage those moments. Yeah. And that's like the difference in this semi compared to when we played them in the semi under Pellegrini. Mm. It's like chalk and cheese. Mm. Like we we approached it in a completely different way, and I know we lost, but like we were the better side. We were confident, and we rival of a certain Norwegian. Um, well, the number nine, which I know Nedham thinks they really need. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think. I mean. It's sort of it's been so basically it's been two years now, hasn't it? Because Aguero was mostly injured for the, the season before he left. And it's kind of been normalised and City just sort of rock up without a striker and everyone moves around. Sometimes they do play a striker, you know, it's not always a false nine. When there've been times when Foden has played as a nine, Sterling has played as a nine, sometimes it's different. But um the interesting thing for me is I, I would imagine that Foden or Grealish play not in the front three as much and they sort of sort of beef up the midfield a little bit and play play a little bit deeper. So I think it's the impact on the players that, you know, there's, there's like five forwards who like rotate between those three spots and I think pretty much going into yesterday, sorry Thursday, going into Sunday, um, it was Foden plus two more really. Now, there's going to be Haaland there who's definitely going to start. Who he brings in maybe to replace Fernandinho. I know it feels like it was about six months ago even though it was only Monday people were talking about Ilkay Gundogan leaving. Does he stay, and how does that that impact? But there's probably there's probably going to be bigger squad issues than how does Erling Haaland fit in because he'll play and he'll score a load of goals, won't he? Yeah, I mean, I mean that was what I was going to say, Casey. We we we've talked in the first part of the show how attacking players come into City and often take a season to settle. I mean, Haaland takes a season to settle. He still might score twenty five goals. So like we're right to be excited about this, aren't we? Yeah, definitely. But like I agree with Dom. I the, the pressure on Haaland is going to be that he's going to have to score like 40, 50 goals or whatever immediately from next season, whereas, like, running. But I don't expect him to. The bigger concern for me for next season is because if Haaland's not performing, we know that we can operate without a striker. The bigger concern is if uh, Walker or Rodri get injured, we need, we need, like, if Rodri gets injured, what do we do? Like, we need to have like a ready-made like someone who can step in and cover for him or do something because those are the two massive areas of the squads I, I think. Yeah, Nedim, obviously the headline signing is Haaland. Um, what else? What else are you expecting for this summer? Do you, are you expecting there to be? I mean, Dom referenced a couple of players. The couple of players' futures are uncertain. Yeah. Is there likely to be a bigger overhaul than we expect? Do you think? I don't. I don't think so. I don't think that's what they do. But. If there's to be an overhaul, then they've probably got something lined up already. Because the way that they recruit, like, I think at times we, we almost sold this belief that everything's reactive. Someone's going to leave, so we have to find somebody to bring in. But for these guys, they recruit across one, two years. They know their targets from the get-go, you know. So I'm sure they have a plan. There's a lot of these players, you know, they were good players. But they're great players now, you know. And the funniest thing about it is that when people from the outside then look at the City team now, they say City bought them in this state. They didn't. All these players have come and they've all gotten better. So it's exciting to sort of wonder who's going to potentially come in to fill some of these boots. Because even with all due respect, like people didn't love love Rodri at the start. I think I'm on record on this podcast saying I wouldn't be disappointed if he never played for City well, again. That's, that's a piping <laughs> hot take. Yeah. Well, well, it's like HMS Plodry is what like. A lot yeah. of people call it. I, I remember when I came back from the USA, December 2020. I watched the game and I thought Rodri played really well. And I had to do an interview, I think it was with Mike Mine on um, Radio Manchester. 
And he, he asked me, like, who do you think's played well? And I said, Rodri. And people, like, booing me. I was like, what's going on, man? <laughs> like, what, what have I missed? I just thought he played well. But now, all of a sudden, you know, it makes sense. The guys that recruit, it's part of a plan. And, like, Haaland and people like this, they might not be great in that first season. But this is why they don't give them one-year deals. Because they're part of a project to become better, to create legacy for the, for the football club, and to future-proof the success that's to come ahead. Part of the issue with Rodri was he wasn't Fernandinho. Mm-hmm. And he's not a similar sort of player even though he's playing in the same position but people wanted a younger Fernandinho and you're not going to get that. say that though because does that does that year without a striker then give distance to whoever I mean I know there is the cult of Erling Haaland he is he's already a name but does the distance between Aguero leaving and Haaland coming in kind of reduce the pressure on the centre forward? Uh, no because it's Erling Haaland no, no, like, no yeah, yeah. Yeah, Nedim, we are right to be excited by this. For next yeah, I don't, I don't see, I don't see why you wouldn't be. Like, Erling Haaland's one of the biggest names in world football at the age of 21, 22 years of age, and there's no guarantee they'll be successful for City. But if he's successful, like in theory, you could see him playing for the club for like ten years. You know, the, the same. It's not like other clubs who buy players who are 35, 36 years of age and have had really good careers and stuff like that. You know, you create, you bring in somebody in who has had a good career so far but can still get better. Like, he's one of the hottest prospects in world football. And why would you not want a play like that? You ask yourself the question, which team wouldn't want Erling Haaland? There's, there's, there's no one. Everyone would want this guy if they could, if they could get him. Yeah. Dom, it's a, it, it is a marked change in transfer policy for City, going after the hottest prospect in world football. <clears throat> it is, but it's still released close FC, isn't it, though? <laughs> so, yeah... Um, I th- it's interesting because like the big marquee signings, it's been like um, Nedim was saying before, like, people have signed and improved. You know, Rodri and Cancelo came for big fees, but with massive potential to grow. Obviously, Haaland has all that potential to grow as well. He's very young, but I think it's the first time they signed like a global superstar. Probably, you could you could probably go well, as far as like Mourinho. I'd say since Aguero. Yeah, well, I mean, if Aguero had been playing. If he was at Atletico Madrid in like 2021, signed from Independiente, he was at Atletico Madrid for about three or four years, really learning his craft. Haaland's a, a little bit more turbocharged than that. In terms of like, you know, to use the Real Madrid term of a Galactico signing, I think Haaland is the first to, at City, really. You could say Rubinho, but he was, in hindsight, he was coming off the curve and that was just a bit of a mad signing. Um, Tevez was a huge signing in this city, it was like a massive pivot point in the rivalry and where the two clubs went but that was Carlos Tevez who'd like left Argentina to go Brazil and weirdly signed for West Ham and turned up at United and then City Grealish was a £100 million player but that was like a very very Premier League type thing this is in terms of like a guy that's already a global superstar Haaland does feel different in those terms but he's the guy that Guardiola and Bergerstein and whoever else have decided it's worth going for a different guy at this point because he's that good. Yeah, yeah. Um, Casey, are you expecting any surprise names going the other way, leaving City this summer? Because, I mean, I asked Naden before about potential names of, of players leaving. There's, there's, you know, Raheem Sterling's entering, you know, the, the final years of his contract. Riyad Mahrez in a, in a similar situation. It's like, in terms of a surprise, it's like, I don't want Sterling to go. Because even though he's not had his best season and maybe the season before, but he's still got incredible ability and like I love him to bits and I wouldn't want him to go. But would it be a surprise if he went? It wouldn't. 
but where does he go? And it's like Bernardo wanted to leave last year. Bernardo's well, from his comments yesterday, seems to be happy to stay. Uh, obviously, Gundogan was a bit of a shock when it, you know, the news broke about him potentially leaving or whatever. Unless it's someone mega like Diaz or whatever, then. I don't think there's anyone that's going to be a surprise. That's a surprise. Yeah. Yeah, I think from my side of things here, like this, this one's about perspective, because at times we can say these are the players that want to go, but it's not really about them wanting to leave City. It's about them wanting to play more football, because all these guys are good enough to play week in week out in the Premier League. They're good enough to play for some of the best sides around the world. So when they find themselves sitting on the bench and sort of being out of favour, that's tough. Like we saw this last year, when all the big games kicked in, he reverted to a particular side. But he meant that there were some big names and stuff that sat on the bench. Like, say, Jack Grealish sitting on the bench, Raheem sitting on the bench yesterday, Gundogan sitting on the bench yesterday. Like, you want to be a part of the side that gets picked to try and win a Premier League title. And for these guys, you can't, you can't waste years. It's such, a, it's such a tough spot for them to be in because you can't waste years in your career because you never know how long it's going to be. But when all of a sudden, like, say, every time Phil Foden's playing really well, it means Grealish isn't playing. Apart from injury in football, there's nothing worse than getting ready from Monday through Friday to not play on Saturday. Like, that's your whole livelihood. And so for them, like, they, they know that leaving City is a place where the next step is inevitably going to feel like it's down. But the fact is, for them, like, playing week in, week out is the thing. Because you, can, you don't get the opportunity to go back in time and win those games back. We talk about buying players. Like, talk about having a backup. Whoever you bring in is not going to be a backup because you're pulling them from somewhere where they're playing week in, week out. So how do you then address that mentality of knowing that you're number two to this guy? However good they are, whoever is on the field for City is very good. The people on the bench are also very, very good. And you have to face disappointment, unfortunately, when you want a squad that's going to be playing 62 games a season. There's, I don't want to use the word problem because it's not a problem. But there is a crossroads at City where there are not that many opportunities. And these, play, these are young players who are exceptionally talented. But there's very little wiggle room for City these days. Um, but I think it could be perceived as a problem for those young players. And the reason I say that is because some of the guys who are playing ahead of them at the minute, all the ability that they have, the key one that they have is availability. Because these guys don't really get injured. And when they do, it's not for a long period of time. So they look after themselves in a manner whereby like, they take on the challenge of playing 60 games a season and literally take it head on. I think myself and tons of others that came before me and some that came after you get your opportunity because somebody's suspended, somebody's injured, and you get brought in, you get a role, and you start going and moving with it. And I think we saw that a little bit with, say, Cole Palmer in, in the season. But these guys, as I say, they look after themselves, and it's a shame. But this is kind of what it is, and I think the best place for them is still going to be here at City. If the manager trusts you, at some point he's going to play you. If he plays you and you do well, you get another opportunity, and before you know it, yeah, for the youngsters, it's a tricky, tricky spot, but they just have to keep working hard and hope that when the opportunities come, that they're ready and they play well because the competition's so hard, and let's call it what it is. For as good as we've seen some of the young players, bar and Phil, if for that game yesterday, if you saw James McAtee and Cole Palmer starting on the wings and you had Mares and, say, Sterling or Foden on the bench, would you feel as comfortable as the reverse? At this moment, you'd probably have to say no. It's because in those big moments... You like to see the players who've shown to you already that they can be trusted. I, I like there was a game earlier on this season where uh, people wanted uh, McAtee and Palmer to come on, and he brought Gundogan on. Yeah. But it's like, but I like you understand the reason why is because Gundogan needed the yeah. minutes in his legs. Yeah. Like people are like clamoring for the, and it is understandable because it's like, like when you came through, it's like 
you feel like it's one of your own. Like, yeah, sure. and, and you do feel like a closer connection when it's like a local or like a, a, an academy play. You yeah. just do. Yeah, 100%. I, I totally agree with you. And I feel bad in some ways for Cole and for James. Like, I'm friends with James and stuff. But it's the reality of being at City at this moment in history whereby every game matters. You know, when I was coming through, I'll be honest, like, we were, as we all know, we were distinctly average. So we had a few more opportunities than maybe some people are having now. Because in this, like, say you want to give them some a game time, some game time in the league. I think you're doing that group of players down as well, because like they were, yeah, we, we were all good like, players. But there'll be more players who will be at the academy who will have a career, but just away from Man City. And ultimately, the role of an academy isn't necessarily to just have a three, four players represent the first team every season. But can you help these people have a career in the footballing pyramid? Because there was a point when I was coming through. If you left City's academy, you might be then going to Rochdale, might be going to Berries, might be going to Stockport. If you leave City's academy now, you might be going to Real Madrid, going to Atletico yeah, Madrid, yeah. going to AC Milan. And so the job of the academy is still very important for those players. It's not the end of the world if they don't make it, but then you can still have some level of pride because they still came through from your academy and are free to be successful elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, Ryan, let's take some questions from the floor. Have we got any um, questions? Adam Johnson. A uh, question for the panel. Um, if you could choose one single moment. Yeah, no? Definitely. <laughs> yes. I, I don't think you're going to get a different answer there. Yeah. I think that one, like, that one broke the well, internet. Well, Dom will come out with some shite. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting for this one. <laughs> that was one of the, and like, when it's scruffy, and people were gutted about that because it was like, everybody was supporting Arsenal for some reason. It was like, what's going on here? This is really weird. Can I can I raise you that game and in that game? Go on. Nathan Ake clearing off the line. Yeah. Yeah. Nathan Ake like subtly he's very good, you know. Like when when like the news was that Ruben Diaz was out, you gutted. So okay, so what we're going to be left with then? I remember the real the moment of realization when I was on doing something on TV. I said, you know, they'll just have to rotate between the England international, the Spanish international, and the Dutch international. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I'll tell you what. That's... And I remember, I think it was Jay Comfrey saying, ah, oh, what a robbery this was. Let's try and figure out how this has happened. It's like, oh, shut up. Imagine listening it. to him. <laughs> just what, what a boring bastard he is. Oh. But I, I, I'd say honourable mention for Brentford around Christmas time. Yeah. Like, like that was a huge win. Go on, Dom, De Bruyne winner against Chelsea, only because at that time, that was the other time before Gundogan scored at the weekend where I thought City have won the league, when De Bruyne sorted through the midfield, put that one in the bottom corner, that, that felt like they're probably going to win the league now. Uh, have we got any more questions? Uh, so this one's for Nedham. Um, it's about how you had your own po podcast and interviewed for a former player that you know. It's Mark Hughes' first season, and I remember wearing that in South Bir Africa. I think Birmingham? Goal against Birmingham? Well, it could have been two, but Carlos took one from me, yeah. I love that shirt. <laughs> um, are there players like that? Um, I don't know, because I, I, through the early part of my career, I, I wasn't really fully aware of like what fans thought overall about the team. Do you know, it's a lot easier now, because everyone can express an opinion, but back then you only really interacted at like supporters clubs and stuff like that, so you wouldn't really see it. But people I really enjoyed playing with, I really enjoyed playing with Nicholas and Elko. He was really nice. He's still really nice to this day. He was always brilliant to my, with my mom and stuff like that. Um, people that I thought... Actually, I'll be honest. I'll be honest. It's very clear now. And this is very apparent in the book. Like, 
Joey Barton's one of the worst people I've ever played with. But it was a spell at City where like he was getting a lot of credit. There was one game in particular. He got himself sent off and he sat on the advertising hoardings at the North Stand after he'd been sent off and he was getting like a huge round of applause. And so with stuff like that, when, you, when you're on the field down to 10 men and you hear a big round of applause for somebody who's gone against the team, like that's, that stuff hurts you a little bit. So I'd probably say him is the, probably the biggest Can I ask you a question about Barton? Go for it. Right. What was the two hands up at every single corner? Like every single corner, he put two <laughs> hands up, and it, like, what was that signal? It's not necessarily true, but I know what you're saying. Um, <laughs> the, the, in, in, in its simplest form, two hands up is supposed to mean back post. Right. But as a as a player, you just know two hands up means you're going to kick the ball in the box, and just hoping it's going somewhere where you're going. You know what I mean? That, 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 that's the trick to it. There are some teams that have got like really intricate set pieces and stuff like that. Like I, when you've got teams that buy set pieces, as the defenders, you're coming up, you're thinking to yourself, do I bother? Because you just know like you're going up basically to just have a race with an attacker to see who can get back first. And yeah, the two hands up probably meant, yeah, I'm going to hit this near post and that's, then I'll just jog that's, back. Um, that's reminding me of, I don't know if you played in this one then, when City lost to Oldham in the third round of the cup. I was on the bench for that one. That day. And, and my mate was with when Barton took like corner 17. Oh, the hands up. He goes to me, he goes, the problem is Joey Barton. Just loves kicking footballs, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> now, Joey's, Joey's an interesting one because, like, overall, like, he was a good player, but there were certain aspects which he wasn't good with, and he, I don't think he could ever really get the best out of his teammates overall because he didn't really buy into them enough. Are you, are you surprised he's gone into management, G- given that sort of, like, his qualities with his teammates? Not necessarily, and that's too far. To be fair, he might be a different person now. Might be. Miracles do happen. Might be different. <laughs> But he was always adamant he knew what the right situation, what the right tactics were, the right thing to do at every moment. We've got time to squeeze one more in. Sterling had that good interview when he was approaching the, the, the landmark where he said back in the day it was him and Sane on the wings darting up and down and these days it's more keep ball. Um, do you think that changes? When, how, do you think anything like that might... I think um, for City and just football in general, like you can't just be the same as you were the year before because ultimately other teams have found you out. The more sort of footage you have of how a team plays, the easier it becomes to play against them. Because, you know, we're all human beings and we have tendencies. But then when you add a dimension, you add a wrinkle to that. And before you know it, people are playing you again and they're confused. Like, this stuff about having 90-plus points every season, it's not through doing the same thing. They'll challenge you in a different way. Sometimes they'll move the ball around the back. Sometimes they'll be more direct. Sometimes the fullback will come inside. Sometimes the fullback will stay high and wide. Like... That's the beauty of them, and for Pep, I think, is the fact that he understands you have to continually evolve and improve. So whereas Tuchel had that huge impact at the start, come the second half of this season, people now have to play against it, they don't fear it as much. Whereas for City, I think, with the personnel that they have, we're all desperate to get better as well. They find solutions. They find solutions, and I think that is key. That brings our live podcast to an end, so uh, let's have a big round of applause for our guests this evening. Casey. Cheers. John Farrell. Before we go, I would like to say a huge thank you to each and every one of you for coming out tonight. Uh, We've had a really strange two years, as I say. It's just good to see everyone having a good time after City have won another title. So uh, it's nice to to have you all here. Uh, I want to say a big thank you to Ellis Hodgkiss as well uh, for making this happen and making sure the technical sides of things worked. Uh, Big thanks as well to Dan Maudsley for lending his equipment and uh, making sure we could get the show on. Uh, big thanks to Dave and Idle Hands for, for hosting us. Thank you too. 
Uh, Paul Atherton, Simon Bykowski, Martin Blackburn, Guy Burke, Richard Burns, Tony Burns, Adam Carter, Ali Fogg, Jack Gorn, Gaz, Rachel Hurdson, Chris Higginbottom, Paul Hurst, Howard Hawking, Anya Hudson, Gary James, Adam Keyworth, Sam Lee, Mike Mine Murd, Kieran Murray, uh, Alan Phoenix Bates, Jonathan Smith, Harry Stokes, Bob Toole, Willem Wynn, Sarah Winterburn and Liam Wright. I also want to say a big special thanks to uh, Dan Burke and Sam Roscoe for stepping in hosting various shows this season uh, and producing it when I needed to take a little bit of a break. A uh, big thank you to all of our Patreon backers who have supported the show. Uh, it really means a lot that my little podcast project that I started when I finished university gets all that love and attention and support that it does. Um, I want to say a big thank you to my partner Sam who uh, puts up with my, all my ideas and schemes for the show and then humours me when I get giddy over something that I'm going to do in the next episode um, and actually puts up with the fact that I'm thinking about the podcast probably 24-7. Um, big thanks to mum and dad as well who I think have finally given up the idea that I am actually going to go out and get a proper job sometime and uh, once more thank you to you for living back in August for the community show. <laughs> the blue moon podcast please support the show patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast